Welcome to the Central Baptist Church Victoria podcast. For more information, visit centralbaptistchurch.ca. Please turn to Luke 24 in your Bible or follow along with a sermon notes handout. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us, and they were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while we talked, while he talked to us on the road? While he opened to us the scriptures, and they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning, Central family. In case you don't know uh, me, perhaps you're new here, my name is Phil, and I'm a pastor with two hats. Uh, I'm a part-time pastor to seniors here and also a pastor of community groups, and I'd love to connect with you on both of those areas and, well, anything, really. I do other things also, including sharing the Word, which I'm very honored to do with you this morning, is to bring the Word to our attention Today is the first Sunday of August, and here in Victoria, for the past 30 years, there has been a community event on the first Sunday of August in the Inner Harbor. What's it called? 
the symphony splash. That's right. So there's been, in, uh, historically, what, 30,000, 40,000 people who all gather around the Inner Harbor and the Greater uh, Victoria Symphony Orchestra plays from the barge, and it's a beautiful evening of music and celebration downtown. Here's my next question. What is the traditional finale to the symphony splash? That's right. Tchaikovsky, 1812, overture, complete with fireworks. Um, here's a, a picture of, uh, which we've taken from this person with permission. But uh, how many of you have experienced the symphony splash? Yeah, quite a few of us here have. I want to ask the question, when you come to this finale and if you're really paying attention to the music and you hear this 1812 overture being played at full volume and you hear the crash of the fireworks and the visual display, what words would you use to describe that moment? It's a moment really of majesty, yeah? It's a, it's a, it's a power, powerful moment. It's awe-inspiring. But let me also ask this question. If you've been there and you've watched this happen, as you think about the other uh, almost 40,000 people that are there, would you say that every one of those 40,000 people is really connecting with the power of the moment? I would guess not. How do we know? Well, because people are just kind of wandering and doing their thing, right? Maybe having their own family conversation and all of this is happening in the background. Here's my point. In order to capture the beauty and the power of this combination of music and fireworks, you actually have to pay attention to it, right? Well, sadly, as you know, uh, due to the path of the pandemic this year, the splash will be postponed for yet another year. However, I want to suggest to you this morning that what we have the privilege to do right here in this auditorium is to experience an alternative, I want to suggest, even more powerful grand finale that is Luke chapter 24. Because Luke chapter 24 really is the grand finale of Luke's account of the life of Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I know that for me, I've read through the Gospel of Luke many times, and I know that I can kind of just read through the Gospel of uh, the chapter 24 of Luke, the four stories that are there, and just kind of not pay attention to it. But what I want us to do is to stop and to realize that Luke chapter 24 really is a chapter that's full of fireworks. It's full of fireworks. How so? Well, think with me about the shape of the Gospel of Luke. Think with me about the shape of the Gospel of Luke, particularly through the eyes of the close friends of Jesus. All right? Early on in the story of Luke, Jesus, Jesus recruits 12 men to be his disciples, right? And there's others who come along and are his disciples as well. And what happens through the trajectory of the story of Luke? Well, as Jesus begins teaching and as he begins doing miracles, these people, their attention is grabbed and they say, who is this person? 
and they, their, their confidence begins to grow as they see him do miracles and they hear his teaching and they hear his challenges and they see him even raise people from the dead and all the way through the trajectory of the story of Luke, the people's confidence is growing and saying, this could be the Messiah. This could be the one who is coming to redeem Israel. But then Jesus is arrested. Ooh, confidence comes down a little bit. And then he's hung on the cross, and her confidence comes down a little bit more. And then he dies. And then he's put in the tomb, and a stone is rolled in front of it. And these followers of Jesus are full of confusion. What, what's going on here? We thought he was going to be the one. And then Luke, Luke chapter 24 breaks into this moment of confusion with four stories that we really need to see as fireworks stories. Because they break into that confusion to declare something that they all deemed to be impossible, but something that actually happened. Because this same Jesus whom they saw on the cross and put into the tomb, this same Jesus has now risen from the dead and he is speaking with them. This is Jesus who has broken the power of death and is now speaking and eating and walking down the road with them. Jesus is alive, never to die again. And Dr. Luke, Dr. Luke is an amazing writer. He's a careful researcher. He's a very skillful writer. And he's doing everything he can in Luke chapter 24 to grab our attention, to help us to see the beauty and the power and the majesty of what just happened. And one of the ways he does it is to highlight the responses of the characters in the stories of Luke chapter 24. We're only going to look at this story number two that we call the Emmaus Road story. But think with me about these two characters that we're introduced to on the road to Emmaus. One is named Cleopas. The other, we don't know their name. I would like to think of them as Mr. and Mrs. Cleopas. I don't know. We don't know for sure, but they do go into their home later. It seems like it could be, right? So let's just assume Mr. and Mrs. Cleopas for this morning. Let me ask you this, as they hear the story unfold, as Jesus unfolds the reality of his resurrection to them, what was their response? Look carefully at Luke chapter 24, verse 32. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road? And while he opened the scriptures to us, these two friends, Mr. and Mrs. Cleopas, they caught the moment. They caught the power and the majesty of the moment. And let's call this burning that goes on inside of them, let's call it inner fireworks, shall we? It's better than heartburn, right? <laughs> it's this inner fireworks that erupts in them as they realize that this person that they're talking to is the same person who was hung on the cross, who was put in the tomb, and now he's here. He 
is alive. And what an immense privilege it was for those two dear friends to be among the first to walk along the road with the risen Jesus. Over the last few weeks, we've been working through a series of messages that we're calling Encounter. This whole series is rooted in the idea that Christian faith is all about encounter with the living God. It's not about a philosophy. It's not about a way of thinking. It's not about religious practice. It's about an encounter with the living God. And today, in Luke chapter 24, we are reminded in no uncertain terms that Jesus is the one who was raised from the dead, who broke the power of death, and who comes to walk with us. Last week, if you were here, Pastor Barton led us through the story of Enoch in Genesis chapter 5, and we saw that Enoch walked with God. And this is, this is the amazing privilege that God gives us as his created beings, now redeemed by Jesus, to walk with him and to talk with him and to experience and encounter God in our day-to-day -day lives. Today, it's my deep desire that every one of us who are followers of Jesus, that we would recapture the beauty of the privilege that we have to walk the road, the pathway of our lives with the risen Jesus. He is alive. And that we too would have some of that inner fireworks going on inside of us, even this morning as we come together to worship him. Let it not be that our hearts would be just kind of ho-hum and unresponsive. But let us respond with hearts full of worship and adoration for the beauty and the power of this reality. I want to say to you, if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, I want to just say to you, I want to pray that you will be drawn to, to come to grips with the reality of the risen Jesus this morning and how significant it is that Jesus is the only person in history who lived and died and then rose to break the power of death. I pray that you would be introduced to him this morning. We're so glad that you're here. Let me ask one more question here. What was it? What was it that caused this deep, visceral kind of response in the hearts of Mr. and Mrs. Cleopas? I want to suggest that they're responding to three grand truths. Three grand truths that come out of this story of the Emmaus Road. The first grand truth is that Jesus really is risen from the dead. The second grand truth is that Jesus really is the central character of the whole story of the Bible. And the third grand truth is that Jesus reveals himself to his dear friends in a simple meal. Jesus is risen from the dead. Jesus is the central character of the whole story of the Bible. And he reveals himself to them in this very simple meal. Let's look at each one of these in turn. First of all, Jesus is risen from the dead. One of my great disappointments this past spring is that we were not able to gather like this on Easter Sunday. I love it when the body of Christ, the, the people of God, come together to worship with a full house on Easter Sunday morning, and we come to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. I love it when we come together, and the leader of the service says, Christ is risen, and you say... Okay, let's say it this time like it really is the best news in the whole world. Christ is risen. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Let's remember for a moment just how foundational this truth is to our faith. Why do we declare that every Easter Sunday? We ought to declare it in August, right? Why do we declare this truth? Well, 
Imagine that you're talking with a friend or a neighbor, a coworker, and this person is open to religious conversation. They're, they're not sure uh, what to think about religious things and faith and life and spiritual things. And on what basis would you seek to convince them to become followers of Jesus instead of followers of some other religious philosophy or teaching. You would not convince that person simply because Jesus was a better person, or he had a better philosophy, or he had a more robust theology. We convince people to become followers of Jesus because of who he is and because of what he did. Who is Jesus? Jesus is this real human, this person who lived 2,000 years ago who is absolutely unique in the history of the world. He is, as the scriptures teach us, the eternal God become human. The apostle John says, the word made flesh who came to live among us for a while. And Jesus himself claimed to be the eternally existent God when he said things to the Pharisees. He said things like this, Before Abraham was, I am. Jesus himself was claiming to be the eternally existent God who became human. And what did he do? He lived, he taught, he performed miracles, he suffered, he died, and arguably we could say, well, other people do those things. But here in Luke chapter 24, he does something absolutely unique in the history of the world. He breaks through the power of death. He emerges from the grave as the victor and conqueror over death and sin and is now alive forevermore. And his resurrection confirms that his death was like no one else's death. It was not a defeat at all. In fact, his death was a glorious victory that swallowed up death and sin forever. This is at the heart and soul of the gospel story. The apostle Paul describes what would happen if we didn't have the resurrection as our foundation. This really is the foundation of our faith. And so we look at 1 Corinthians 15 and we read these words. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, in other words, if there's no resurrection, then we of all people are most to be pitied. If there is no resurrection, we ought not to be here. But... Paul goes on to say in this next verse, he goes on to say, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And if you have any doubt about the resurrection of Jesus, go and read 1 Corinthians 15. Paul makes such a strong argument for it there. And there's so many places you can go to talk about the reality of the resurrection of Jesus. So we say it again. Christ is risen. Hallelujah. Let's come back to our two friends for a moment. Let's consider how this truth gets revealed to these two dear friends. I want to call, it's, it's really a, an amazing story. Because I believe that God reveals the reality of the risen Jesus to them in, in what I would call a, a gradual revelation. Watch the story carefully. Verse 17. What what was their initial response to the events that had happened in Jerusalem? In verse 17, we read, they're downcast, they're sad as Jesus approaches them and they don't recognize him. In verse 21, we discovered that their hopes had been dashed. We thought we had hoped he was going to be the one to redeem Israel, but now he's gone. And to this 
their hopes being dashed, we add confusion because then they're getting these reports about the empty tomb and now the body of Jesus is gone and, and now we don't even know what to think and we're confused. I want you to notice what I see as God's gracious hand in the revelation of Jesus to these two dear friends. Look at verse 16. Verse 16 tells us their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Who kept their eyes from recognizing Jesus? We don't know, but God did, right? God kept their eyes from recognizing Jesus for who he really was. And then if we look down at verse 31, what does it say? As Jesus was breaking the bread and their eyes were opened. Who opened their eyes? Well, God opened their eyes. So in between, there's this, there's this progression. There is this progression from darkness to light. There's a progression from confusion to clarity. There's a progression from being in the fog to being able to see into the distance. Have you ever experienced being in a fog as it lifts? A good friend of mine has a boat, a small fishing boat that he moors at Port Renfrew, and about this time of year, uh, we often go up and go fishing uh, just off of Port Renfrew. And sometimes as you go out onto the, into the water there, you're fishing in a fog. It's not unusual. You can only see maybe 25, 50 meters all around you. And it's cold and it's, it's foggy. You can't see. But then sometimes the sun will burn and burn and burn and that fog will begin to lift. And it's just amazing to watch as suddenly you see a little bit further, a little bit further. Suddenly well, there's a bit of the coastline. And then sometimes there's just moment where the, where the fog just burns away. And the, coat, the rugged coastline emerges with breathtaking beauty. That's what's going on here. These disciples, Mr. and Mrs. Cleopas, they're just so confused. But Jesus is talking to them, and there's a fire beginning to burn in their hearts as Jesus talks with them, talks with them, talks with them. And God is sovereignly and graciously allowing Mr. and Mrs. Cleopas to go through this transition from being in the fog to coming into the light. And can you imagine how strong their conviction was at the end of this story as Jesus is breaking the bread to them? There is no doubt in their minds now that what was thought to be impossible has just happened. This Jesus who, was died, who, who died is now risen from the dead. He really is. This is our first grand truth of the story. Jesus really is risen from the dead. Hallelujah. The second grand truth is this, is that Jesus is the central character in the whole story of the Bible. I will read to you verses 25 and 26. It's not on the screen, but listen what Jesus says to them. He said to them, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And now look specifically at what Jesus does. Verse 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. 
Please note what it does not say here. It does not say he interpreted to them from several strategic Old Testament passages like the Messianic Psalms and Isaiah 53 that those were... He didn't say that. Luke ref- records very specifically for us. He interpreted to them in all of the scriptures the things concerning himself. This implies that every Old Testament story is in some way preparing for this moment, preparing for the coming of Jesus into the world. This actually is a deep and profound truth which we don't have time to explore in any detail this morning. Let me just consider with you a couple of very high-level examples. Let's, we can say that Jesus is the true Adam, and Paul in, in, the, in the book of Romans talks quite a lot about Jesus as the true Adam. Chapter 517 of Romans, Paul says this, if because of one man's trespass, that's Adam, that death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the true Adam. Where Adam fell, Jesus reigns. Where Adam and Eve turned away from the goodness of God and reached out to grasp life for themselves, Jesus remained faithful. He resisted the temptations And he followed in complete submission to his father to fulfill what it means to be a true Adam, a true human made in the image of God. We can call Jesus also the true Israel. God chose the family of Abraham to be his representatives in the world. He chose them. He called them his treasured possession to shine the light of God's justice and righteousness to the other nations of the world. But Israel as a family and as a nation, as you read through the story of the Old Testament, they persistently turned away from God and they became trapped in their own selfish ways. Trapped following their own lusts and passions and worshiping false gods. They forgot the mandate that they had been given by Moses to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. But Jesus comes and he fulfills all of that as God's messenger to sinful humanity, perfectly representing God. And so we imagine Jesus Walking this road, Mr. and Mrs. Cleopas, Jesus is just going through Old Testament story after Old Testament story saying, you know what, all of these stories were weaving together to, to, to what is before your very eyes. They were all pointing to what I have just done. What an amazing privilege. Don't you wish you could have been there walking on the road? This, in fact, is the grand truth that is so incredibly important for us to grasp as we read Scripture as well. Do you ever have trouble reading the Old Testament stories of the Bible? I do, sometimes. It's very important for us to learn how to read the whole arc of Scripture and to learn how it all points to Jesus. Let me recommend a resource to you that Martha and I have found very helpful over the past number of years, and many of you are aware of this resource already, but in case you're not, please check out thebibleproject.com, bibleproject.com. These guys are, are men who are men and women who are theologically robust, and they're making re- uh, videos which are incredibly helpful, video summaries of every book of the Bible, theme videos, and other resources. But their whole, their whole mandate is based on the belief that the Bible, the Bible is a unified story that leads to Jesus. 
the Bible is a unified story, and all of it leads to Jesus. This, in fact, is what Jesus is saying here. So let me encourage you, as you're reading the Scriptures, do whatever you can to find the resources that will help you to read the Scriptures in a way that everything points to Jesus. So here's our first two grand truths. Jesus really is risen from the dead. And secondly, Jesus really is the main character of the whole story of the Bible. And both of these truths are big truths. Of scripture, big truths of our faith, firework worthy, worthy truths, we might say. Our third truth seems to be perhaps on a different level, perhaps more subdued, but please, please be attentive to the intense beauty of what goes on here as we see Jesus who reveals himself to his followers in a simple meal. Listen carefully again uh, to a couple verses, and then I'll put one on the screen. But listen to these verses. As the walk comes to an end, they're walking towards the village of Emmaus. They arrive, verse 28 says, they draw near to the village to which they were going. And he acted as if he would go further. But they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So Jesus went in to stay with them. Now watch carefully what happens next. While he was at table, when he was at table with them, he took the bread and he blessed and broke it and he gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. This is the moment. This is, can you imagine what was going on in their hearts at this moment? This is the same Jesus who we had supper with just a few days ago. What do they do now? Well, they get up and they run all the way back to Jerusalem to find the other disciples of Jesus and, they, and, and look carefully how they describe what had happened to them. Let's look at verse 35. They told these other disciples, this is the two from the road, they said to the other disciples, they told what had happened to them on the road and how he was, watch this phrase carefully, he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. He was known to them in the breaking of the bread. What's going on here? Well, we can, what we can imagine is that Jesus takes bread and breaks it to them. They're going back just a few days to the Passover. That time when Jesus broke the bread, that he chose two of the most common elements that you would have at a meal. Bread and wine. And he gave them this bread and he said to them, anytime you eat this bread, remember that my body was given for you. And anytime you, you drink this cup together at the table, remember, remember that my blood was shed for you. There is absolutely no doubt in our friend's mind right now that this Jesus who's at the table breaking bread really is the risen Jesus. Jesus really is the main character of the story of the Bible. And Jesus has revealed himself so that they knew him through this act of the breaking of bread. Such a beautiful, beautiful picture. And now, my friends, to more than 2,000 years later, here we are with these exact same elements, with the exact same privilege to meet with the risen Jesus, to encounter the risen Jesus. The risen Jesus wants to be known by you today. Can I say that again? 
the risen Jesus wants to be known by you today as we take this simple meal of communion together. He wants to encounter you and to encounter you and you to encounter him in a very real, very personal, intimate way. The Apostle John wrote an amazing verse. The Apostle John was one of those disciples who was there, who experienced all of this firsthand. And as Apostle John is writing in the book of Revelation and he's writing the letters to the churches, as he's writing to one of the churches, he writes this picture of Jesus, Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, which I believe is so appropriate for us as we, as we come to grips with the reality of the fact that the risen Jesus wants to have relationship with us. Revelation 3.20, Jesus says this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. Jesus loved eating meals with people. Eating meals was a sign of friendship. It still is, right? Communion is an act that we do to remind us of the heart and soul of our salvation, to remind us of the price that was paid, to remind us of what Jesus did, and to remind us that Jesus rose from the dead, as we discover in Luke chapter 24. So as we take communion today, it's, it's my strong desire. Many of us in this room have taken communion probably many times before. Let this not be just another time. Jesus invites us, invites us to respond. And as we see these two on the road to Emmaus, their hearts are burning within them as they, as they hear the beauty and the majesty and the power of what has just happened, that Jesus is risen from the dead. And as we take this bread and remember that Jesus died to pay for our sin, as we take this cup, to remember that his blood was shed to pay for our sin, would we respond? Would we respond from the depths of our being to offer him our worship and our praise? If you're not a follower of Jesus this morning and you're not sure of what this practice of communion is all about, please, there's, there's no shame in not participating. We're delighted that you're here. And we really pray and hope that you will come and talk to us and discover more about the beauty and the power and the story of the risen Jesus who longs for a personal relationship with you. If you were encouraged by today's message, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and gatherings, visit us at centralbaptistchurch.ca. Thanks for listening to the Central Baptist Church Podcast.